Welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we bring you up to speed with the key drivers and trends in agricultural markets. My name's Olivia Agar, and today we're taking a step out and looking at some of the big picture factors that are either impacting Australian agricultural markets now, or they might be creeping their way in, but could very well be big drivers in the future. And for such a big topic, we had to bring in a guest that's not just wise, but is very used to handling all the tough questions. So it's our pleasure to have David Cornish join us today, who is Director of Agribusiness at Marcus Oldham Agricultural College and host of their very own podcast, Ag Talk. So we cover a fair bit of ground today, talking about consumer trends and everything from climate and safety concerns to retail pricing and diets. One of the really interesting takeaways for me as I was listening in was when they were talking about the influence of messaging to consumers and getting that story right. And not just because they buy the product and therefore drive demand, but because it's going to influence our right to farm. Mercado's Managing Director Robert Herman is leading today's chat. So after a thanks to this week's sponsor, I'll hand over to Rob and David. Today's episode is brought to you by ProAdvice. ProAdvice offer tailored services to suit your accounting needs. They have a strong history of working with farming families and understand the day-to-day realities and challenges of farm life. Whether it be financial planning, investment strategies, or business software solutions, ProAdvice will help your farm run more efficiently. Hop on their website or give them a call to find out more. Well, thanks for the intro, Olivia. And uh, you're right, this is a great pleasure because I'm speaking today to David Cornish. I've been on David's podcast before, and so I'm a bit excited on two fronts here. One, because of the, of the um, I guess, the area that you specialise in, David, and that's talking about agriculture business and how it can be improved and, and better. But I'm also excited because I get to put the uh, boot on the other foot and I can be asking you a few questions, whereas in the past you've been the one asking the questions. So let's get stuck into it. What we want to talk about today, though, are those big issues. Not so much about the nitty-gritty of the business, but what are the things that we should be thinking about in terms of agriculture going forward? So what are, the, what are some of the consumer trends or pressures that we're going to have to deal with in agriculture in the future, David? First of all, thanks, Rob, for having us on. I mean, the great thing about having your own podcast, you can bring on people to make you sound good. Um, now, unfortunately, you've brought me on. Um, I just hope I can live up to that, that, that expectations um, uh, accordingly. I think as farmers, I think we focus on what we do day to day, and that's important, we, the operational stuff. We focus on what we do on farm, the tactical stuff. But when we're talking about the strategic stuff, we really do have to look beyond the farm gate. We've got to look at factors that, while we can't control, will have significant influence on, on our future prosperity, or profitability, productivity, our management, how we go about and do things. So what I try and get the students to do is, is look over that horizon and try and look for the trends that are affecting our business. Now, the great thing about this is not about forecasting the future. It's about looking at, I think, history and trends that we've seen within agriculture because while no day is the same, the things that influence us are similar. So for instance, uh, climate. We know that climate is going to be a thing that's going to influence. How it's going to influence, we don't know. 
um, you can argue that there's going to be greater risk. Um, okay, so how do I set up my business accordingly? On the market side, I think that's really the interesting thing I've taken away from my podcast, doing the podcast series this year, was talking to the different experts, and they'll probably hate me calling them that, on the influences that they're seeing and affecting that are affecting both the price we get and more importantly, where we can sell our product. And I think sometimes as farmers, we see the two as intertwined, but I think both of them are just as important as each other. For instance, trade agreements. Everyone often says with trade agreements, um, what, what price rise will I get out of it? What I try and get them to think about, this isn't about price rise, this is about access to market. And as Australian agriculture, we rely on an export market and we need to ensure that we have those access to markets. So that's how critical those trade talks are. Now, that's a really positive story, I think, at the moment. Well, you're right. And it leads into a good point because we have got fantastic trade access and that's been built up over a long time. And if you just take our beef industry as an example, I mean, we do have access into not only um, markets where people are discerning and looking for, you know, assured quality and reliability, but where people can pay more. So those things don't come by accident. They're things that we need to value. But in the future, we're probably going to have consumers that are more discerning. And I note MLA's surveys in China, where they're, where they're surveying similar clients or similar customers to what we might have seen in Japan and Korea as those countries emerged and became red meat eaters. But they, these new customers have different um, priorities. So things like animal welfare, things like um, biosecurity, things like safety are very high in their levels. Whereas in the past, we might have said, oh, it's about flavour and, um, you know, meat looking good or being affordable. So th this, am, am I right in saying, do you agree or not, David, but am I right in saying that this trend is something that we're yet to have to fully deal with? Yeah, I think so. I think some of it we have, Rob. For instance, uh, I remember standing last year when we were still able to travel uh, in a supermarket in China and, and, and just looking at people's behaviours and what they did. And I sort of, um, lucky I wasn't picked up by the cops, but I was lingering around the, the meat um, cabinet just watching what people did. And, and what was quite clear was that they were, they were picking up the package and what they were looking for were they turning over and seeing what the country and origin was. In my past, it's probably poo-hooed this a bit, but to them, at this stage of their economic involvement, is that safety of food is something that's really, really important to them. So Australia and New Zealand meat was held in great uh, premium because it was considered safe. Now, that's where that consumer is at the moment, but that consumer is moving on. If we we continue to to sell our product based on what has happened um, with regards to consumer preferences we're going to be left behind and as you rightly pointed out they are now looking at some of the factors that us in the west look for with regards to their product uh, and that's animal welfare it's, it's it's supply chains it's it's the story behind the product i want to be careful this isn't about what we call the typical value add it's about just being able to sell our product which is meat um, which is into that market and being sure that we can at least what we call tick the bare minimum requirements to be a player in that market. So on the one hand, what you were saying is, is really important there in that they're looking at where this product's coming from. 
And that's great, providing you're the market that they're looking for. If you're, if you're the market they're looking, if they're looking on the product to see that's not where I want to get it because of, you know, we have a bad reputation, then I guess that's a problem. Now, I know, I know you study these things. You're, you're, you're a worldly man, David. And uh, <laughs> is the world turning vegan? I mean, this is where uh, all, yes. there's so much, um, there's so much uh, media talk and especially on um, social media. Is that a problem for our red meat, do you think, in the future? I think you've got to split that down into two, two messages because in, in one way, we don't want to ignore it. Um, but in another way, we don't want to overplay it. And I get my students to do, do a SWOT on, on the beef industry or the meat industry, whatever. And time and time, they'll, again, they'll put up as one of their most important issues that they're dealing with is that basically the world's turning vegan, no one wants our beef. Um, you know, that's, and we're not going to be able to farm anymore. Now, if you read social media and if you looked at uh, some of our um, news headlines and reports, I can understand, and, and, and again, when, when something dramatic happens, like a couple of years ago when they, when, when they put those um, vans outside um, meat processing factories, then you know, they're quite dramatic. But let's look at the data. Now, if you look at what I think both ABC and MLA have done some data on, 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 on looking at the long-term trends of what's happening at the consumer level. Now, what the long-term trend is, basically uh, Australia is 3% vegetarian about one percent vegan now those numbers really haven't changed over the last 10 years what we also see is that there's always a a quite a turnover of let's call them young adults um, who for for a whole lot of different reasons and, and and we can get into peer group pressure and virtual signaling and all those things decide that they're going to go vegan now, a survey that was done back in 2016 basically said of those, 85% um, convert back to meat eating. Now, it would be wrong to say that they then go back to the average meat eater in Australia of 28 kilograms of meat a year or whatever it is, okay? Um, we've got to understand in Australia, the, 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 the dietary habits is changing to a, putting less meat in our, in our diet. Now, we can argue whether that's right or wrong, and we can argue environmental effects. Really, we've got to put that to one side. The reality is that the message that the consumer is getting is that that's the right thing to do. Okay. Not only that, you ever go, have you brought a steak recently, Rob? No, but I've had a couple bought for me. Thanks. I can promise you they're not cheap. No. And, and, what, and what, what, the, what the actual, um, I think what the surveys are actually showing, it's not these, let's call them altruistic or socially things. It's actually the price. You know, meat has become exceptionally expensive in the market if you look at it compared to uh, vegetables and fruits and other things. So that's obviously going to be a driver. Um, you know, people can't afford to eat the meat that the levels of meat that we used to eat uh, 10 or 15 years ago. Does that mean the world's turning vegan? No. Now, but here's the real issue. What we've got to be as, as meat producers is, is, is highly aware of is that the influence that that has in the social media. The influence it has on society. Okay, so um, I reckon if you walk down the street and ask people, is, is, is meat eating good or bad for you? Is meat eating good or bad for the environment? 80% of people would say, um, I eat meat, but yeah, no, I'm trying to cut down because um, it's bad for the environment. Okay, 
Now, again, I can show you a whole lot of stats to show that it's not true, but that's the message they're getting. So as a producer, I think we're doing a really bad job of actually communicating with the consumer to say, this is how well we're looking after our farms. This is what's driving us and what's important and, and why, that, why we've got to do that. Now, again, as Kevin Folder said, we're playing to 80% of people. We're never going to change the 20% who are one side or the other. What we're interested in the 80% of people who are interested in just good information and knowing that in the business that we're doing, we're doing the right thing. So we've got to get on the front foot about that. And it's got to happen at a consumer, uh, sorry, at a farmer level. So can I just circle back there for a minute? Because you mentioned back there about the affordability of red meat yep. is one of the reasons. At the same time, and that's true, you're 100% right in, in our society, but at the same time, there are emerging countries and, and big populations who are suddenly coming into that, um, that spending uh, capacity where they are able to afford red meat. So that's where we're seeing, that's the future of the driver, I think. Yeah, absolutely spot on, mate. And I think that's, you know, you look at China, China's what, 1.3 billion people? Okay, so just imagine if 2% of people eat more red meat in 1.3 billion. Australia's got, what is it, 25 million, 26 million? Mm. One or 2% stop eating meat, okay? Mm. Now, we've gone from exporting 2,000 tonnes of beef to China in 2012 to now exporting 30,000 tonnes. Hopefully, yeah. that continues. Yeah. So it's not about that our demand for product is going to, to fall. It's about our right to farm. And I heard, um, I had a guy from Canada, Rob Sykes on, and he said, we have the tools and equipments to feed 9 billion people, but will we have the, will we be allowed to? Okay, mm. so when we're talking about this, I don't sort of talk about this from a perspective of, I'm concerned about whether the Australian consumer is gonna to continue to buy our meat. In a way, and again, I, I, I say this cautiously, that's irrespective to the price I'm getting on farm. But as a stakeholder, they have, they have huge political influence on whether I can continue to farm the way that I want to farm. And unless so, I'm getting up and telling them that what we're doing is best practice and we're doing it and animal welfare is, is high on our mark, they're going to say, well, I'm hearing all on social media that you guys are all rat bags. It's a really good point. And, and that means that, whether or not they're going to be the big consumers of our red meat in the future, they are very important customers because we have to actually sell the story to them. So here's a test for you. You get either some of your children or some friends in Melbourne and tell them that the red meat industry is going to be carbon neutral by 2030. One thing I can guarantee is they won't know that that's a, that's a target. That's not being promoted, but they also won't believe it. So surely, David, that's an opportunity for us to start to get a bit of social capital out there um, yep, absolutely. leading the way in that area. I mean, that, that to me is a, is a story that really needs to balance off or can really balance off a lot of the negatives. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a personal anecdote here. Um, my daughter goes to a school in, in Ballarat, so we're not talking in a city Melbourne, you know, just general kids from around Ballarat. And they're going to schoolies this week. So hopefully, thank God she's still alive. I think she is. Um, and I was talking to her. I don't know how we got on it. We talked about what they're going to eat for the week. And she said, oh, Dad, we just, it's, it's all vegetarian. 
and this is 12 girls. And I said, sorry, yeah, it's just too hard. You know, we've got one vegan, two vegetarians, three um, lactose intolerance. So we just said, if I go to the pub, I'll, 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 I'll have a big steak. And she had a great steak before she left. But here we are. We've got 12 um, young females who basically are not eating, you know, and why are they doing that? I asked why. And some of them are pescatarians and so, you know, uh, that affordability issue. But I think you're right. There's this, this concept, general concept, that livestock agriculture is bad for the environment and that's got so much credence at the moment. We need to get out there and not, and again, don't do like I do, mate, get on Twitter and say you're wrong. Uh, I'm right. Um, this is the facts. People don't listen to facts. They need, we need to get the message in a way that, that is actually very personal, very about farmer, about animals, about you know, just selling the story of what it means to be a grazing operation in Australia. I mean, people use the term intensive agriculture um, when it talks about what we do. Well, sorry, I'm just looking out the paddock now, mate. It doesn't look too intensive to me. <laughs> and it's all and it's all grass fed. So we've probably done the, the poor old livestock, you know, we've done it pretty much to death right now. But the other big story, the big story in Australia over the last 30 or 40 years, probably longer, has been the cropping industry, grains industry. I mean, it's been a big success story. But I want to read to you, this is, uh, so picture this, David, you'll remember this, on the 8th of February, 1983, at about three o'clock, this is on a, on a news post, David Clark, a Melbourne archeologist, saw this huge cloud rolling in and covering everything. The city basically disappeared. The cloud was actually a layer of dry topsoil for Western District of Victoria, which had been whipped up by the winds it's estimated it dropped 100,000 tonnes of soil, Western Districts, so mainly Wimmera Mallee soil, I guess, on the city. Now, that was in 1983. Now, I suggest to you, David, if that happened once or twice every four or five years, the cropping industry would be shut down. It wouldn't be allowed to keep going. But it has. And what it did was it adjusted. And it adjusted, though, by going away from that traditional fallowing, to go to chemical fallowing, to no-till cropping, to uh, herbicide and pesticide use and better uses of fertilisers. And not only did it address a problem, it's got this track record now over the last however many years of being increasingly productive. But it must have risks too because we hear these stories about, you know, they don't like the sort of some of those practices. What's your take on that? Yeah, yeah. Listen, I just want to finish off on the, again, I'll get on it, but I just I thought about the meat industry. I don't want to leave it standing there saying um, we've got all these dark clouds in, in the meat industry. I think the meat industry, and I say this to my students, I don't think agriculture has ever been in a, as a good a position as, as today. I mean, I sold 14-month-old steers the other day for, for nearly $2,000. You know, it, it, the beef industry, I don't think, from my perspective, it has ever looked any better. And certainly the lamb industry, I stole some over the hooks for $175. Okay, those prices are phenomenal. Um, and demand is there, you know, China can um, blow its bags and do whatever they're doing. But the reality is we're still, we're, we're still demand there. So 
yeah, it would be wrong to leave. And I hate leaving people thinking doom and gloom because it's not. But what we've got to do is, is just deal with these messages so that we can continue to, to be successful and, and agriculture has a long-term future that I know it has. I can yeah, see sorry. that I can see you're a boy from Cassidy. You're gonna you're, I'm gonna drag you kicking and screaming away from livestock. I mean, so it is, I know, it is I know. I've just spent the day with with my sheep advisor. So um, this morning, and I'm just all anyway. It was good fun. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the cropping one. Okay, so let's let's the cropping, as I say, was one of the what do we call it, the modern miracles of, of of the world. Okay, was what happened when we introduced this 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 product. Uh, and I'll pronounce it badly, but forgive me, uh, glycosate into, the, into our system. And one of the great things, if you want to talk marketing, one of the great things that Monsanto did was when they introduced that was they didn't talk about, here's a new spray, let's use this. And I, you know, what they did is say, here's a new farming system. Okay, so yep. they sold the product as part of the farming system. So it's, yep. just, it's one of the great marketing stories um, I, I, I use with my students. Okay, so we suddenly went from significant deterioration of our soils and lock of yield and production quality to now having some of the most productive, um, um, uh, well-maintained soils in, in the world. And as you quite rightly to point out, you know that the, the, the storm, the, the dust storm that happened, and Melbourne never gave me back any of my topsoil, by the way, but some of that was ours. Um, <laughs> Um, some the dust storms were horrific, and you only got to go back to let's call it the organic systems in 1930, where my dad was brought up in the sort of the Mallee of South Australia, and their farms. You know, after a dust storm, you basically got the the the, the wheelbarrow in and you shoveled the dust out of the house. Mm. You know, you don't see that anymore. Why? No. Because our farming systems are more uh, are so much more sustainable than that they've ever been. But as you say, here's the story at the consumer level. And again, small segment of the consumer story is that this concept around chemicals. And I saw it the other day on a Twitter. Uh, oh, no, sorry, on ABC show where this person was, had this cabbage and said the cabbage, cabbage is chemical free. Um, I might be getting old, but I'm pretty certain that by the very nature of every substance having chemicals, it can't be chemical free. Um, so... But we had this thing about artificial chemicals. Um, so it's again, this message is getting lost uh, along the line of, of, of that these have been proven to be quite, quite sustainable, quite safe, are getting a bad rap because a, a jury in the US um, by 12 people who knew nothing about uh, the research, who had half of the information missing um, and felt sorry for the guy, quite rightly, as you would, awarded damages. Yet every science research in the world shows, for instance, that product is safe. Yep. You know, except I, think, I think the positive to this, though, is, and, and I was surprised to see that that was that dust storm that went over 100,000 tonnes of soil in 1983. Yep. The positive to that is that if something hadn't have been done, and we're now... 40 years down the track. Imagine if we had been, those soils had been depleting yeah, yeah, at that yeah. for the last 40 years. We would have had farmers going broke. We would have had areas of land that weren't farmable. So farming has the ability to address problems. And this is a great example of that. It addressed a problem. 
Absolutely. And turn it into a positive. But if we don't tell the audience, if we yeah. don't tell the stakeholders in a language that they understand, don't get a scientist up, bless their souls, talking to some consumer who's going to a farmer's market, okay? They want to hear it from, and again, there's some great stuff done on Facebook by some farmers, just talking about what they're doing on a day-by-day basis. You know, carbon in soils is such a critical issue these days, especially around climate change and our ability to farm, that minimum tillage or zero tillage is, is, a, is a fundamental part of that story. So we have a really good story to tell like that. For instance, and I'll give you another one, GMOs. If you want to talk monsters, let's talk GMOs. Yet, guess what is the main technique that's going to be used to create the vaccines that the whole world is going to be vaccinated by? It's by using the same techniques that we use to do food. So we have a really good opportunity to change the message um, but, but, but what it is allowing us to do is to be more efficient with the way we use our resources, which we know we have to. It's going to allow us to have less wastage in the supply chain, which is critical because we're losing 20 to 40% of our, our food in the supply chain because of the ability to turn, on, turn off and turn on some, some switches within, within that same DNA. So it's not about introducing new DNA. It's just about working. So it's such a safer way to produce plants now than when we use when we use mutogenesis, which the organic industry is happy with, but that's using toxic chemicals and radiation to create mutants to grow grow new seeds. Now, you tell me which one's worse. So we're furious agreement here, David, in that it is about <laughs> communication. I mean, really, there is a real responsibility, and I know on your Ag Talk podcasts and what we try to do, even though we we do have narrow, um, I guess, listening audiences. We're trying to do that all the time. But you've got a bigger role to play, and that is that you're gearing up people who have decided to, to, to get into agriculture, want to learn about the business of agriculture, and they come down to Marcus Oldham and they, they come under your expert tutelage and, uh, and go away with this, um, these, brilliant, uh, these brilliant ideas. So, so let's say next year, I presume, there's a new intake. What's the one thing that you hope they're going to take away at the end of their Marcus Oldham uh, journey. What's the thing that you hope they take that will actually make them be really successful, have great enjoyment, be productive and be, you know, really good agricultural citizens? Is there something you see or you hope for when you see these groups arrive? Yeah, I think as a, as a teacher or a lecturer or as some people say, you, you, David, you stand up the front anyway, um, I think... One of the things you want to do is, is you know that uh, technology will become redundant over time. I always talk about this concept around critical thinking and the ability to just think. And, and people say, well, everyone thinks. No, it's about actually the discipline of asking the question why. What I find with people, and I don't know whether it's, a, it's, it, it's just that as we get older, we get more careful about what, what messages we take on board, is that... Just because, and I say to them, just because I say it and I'm standing up in front of you doesn't mean it can't be bullshit. What I want you to be able to do is be able to constructively challenge what I'm telling you because I see too many farmers getting caught up in with snake oil, with, with, with the next best thing because they haven't critically analysed what does that mean to my system, Okay. Now, it might be something you don't know anything about and someone's come along and said, that's great. But if you've got the disciplines about 
What's it do? How can I look at it? What's wrong with it? What might work? How do I test this? And, and then be able to, you know, if we can get that in and distill that within two years at Marcus Oldham, mate, I'm a happy man. Well, I think, I think what you've just said, though, doesn't just apply to your students. I think this is, that's great, a great bit of insight for anybody in business and especially anybody in agriculture. I mean, we, we've talked about this before, David. We're blessed with the opportunity yeah. to be in agriculture. We love it and we love talking to people about it. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much. All the best with your, um, your podcast, Ag Talk, and, uh, and all the best with your work in keeping those young, enthusiastic, fresh-faced, informed uh, people coming through and working in agriculture. Thanks, Rob, and I look forward to catching you up in 2021, mate. Have a good one. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, David and Robert, for today's episode, and thanks to our listeners for joining us again today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and if you're looking for the latest updates on what's happening in livestock, grain and wool markets, make sure you jump on the Mercado website and take up either a free or premium subscription. Thanks and we'll be back with you again in a week's time. This episode was brought to you by ProAdvice. Head to their website at www.proadvice.com for more information.